Alrighty, hello everyone at home. Welcome to a little bit of a filler in and a starter for you folks. It's going to be a summary of the main plot up to this point by the party in Prisoner's Dilemma. So the party, originally consisting of Yolanda, Planeswalker, and Quixie, woke up in a cell confused, hurt, and sore. They were awakened not knowing where they were or how they had got there, not remembering the recent past. The only real hint as to where they might be was a large and unfamiliar tapestry of a symbol on the wall, a white tapestry with a symbol in gold, a sword with the hilt resembling a sun shining seven rays out of it symbol that would become familiar to them as time went on. They were approached by a man dressed in robes covered in the same symbol. He said his name was Mirdan Esto. He was an older man walking with a heavy limp and a shield. He offered the party escape, saying that he couldn't make up for the things that he had done, but he could at least help things be better moving forward. So he released them, along with a brief moment to enact some protective rituals. Released them, gave them directions on how to escape this prison, and then he fled in a different direction to distract the guards. The group followed his directions, discovering along the way a seemingly catatonic fellow inmate standing at the bars to their cell, holding the bars, looking blankly ahead and not responding to any stimulus. They escaped from the prison, finding themselves on an island and capturing a boat to flee, lighting fire to many other boats in the process, leaving the small impromptu harbor a bit of a mess, hoping that would aid in their flight and keep things from pursuing them. They sailed for a fair while, found themselves in a small uh, seaside town when they eventually did make landfall. There wasn't really any information or connection there to this group that they had seemingly been captured by, but they did meet another member who joined the party, a dwarf by the name of Armina Wesson-Smith, who had been hired to take care of some problems in that little town. The group as a whole took care of the problems and then decided to go to the nearby, much more major port town of Labsaladas, where they had heard there was a presence of this group. They went there and were fairly immediately met by a captain of the investigative branch of the city guard, a dwarven woman by the name of Stern Hammerthrow. She didn't get along well with the party at first, nor did the party get along well with her, but she told them to come down to the precinct and talk to her. At which point, after a bit of conversation, she confided that she needed help in investigating this group. She called them the Order of the Rising Dawn, saying that was what they called themselves. She outlined the group's history within the city, saying that they had originally been a loosely organized group of people who had been viewed as crazies standing in town hall and just shouting out at passers-by about this or that or the other thing, but that several months prior, about six to eight months prior, they had become substantially more organized under the leadership of a new person 
a new pastor by the name of Bosom Rishuhin. This man, a high elven man, she gave what information she had, but there wasn't particularly a lot. She also shared that there had been a lot of complaints lodged with her and a lot of requests for investigation because families were finding that family members were joining up with this order and then not contacting home anymore, not writing, not meeting up with them, dropping sometimes off the face of everything completely, uh, issuing all prior social obligations and everything of their former lives for this group. And she said that while that wasn't unheard of for zealotry in terms of a religious organization, it being on this scale and with this level of swiftness was a little worrying to her. And so she was doing her best to investigate these potential issues. However, she was being held short by a couple of things, primarily that a few of the guards within her own organization had converted to this order. And in doing so, she felt like any opportunity for a covert organization or a covert investigation had gone out the window. All of her agents would be known to this group, all of her officers, all of her operatives. There was no way she could conduct an investigation without them already probably knowing what she was investigating and how. And so she had been frustrated time and again by finding that the order seemed to be two steps ahead anytime she tried to look up a certain law and try to find, oh, okay, maybe they're breaching something here, maybe they're in broach of something over there. They had managed to find one loophole or another, up to and including the fact that their order hall out of which they practiced was uniquely in this city, not in the Temple District. Every single other religious organization or building needing to be confined to a certain district of the city, but this order hall and Pastor Bosom Rishuhin seemingly being good enough at knowing and navigating the laws of this city that he was able to find a way around that. So Stern asked for the group's help uh, in investigating, asked for their aid, asked for them to serve as deputies of a sort to carry out this investigation and find what was happening, what was going on, whether they were up to anything, and what sort of validity was behind people's claims of family members going missing. She didn't know who to trust within the city, and so she stressed them not to let their investigations be known, or rather, not to let it be known that they were working with her, specifically. But she did provide them with pardon papers that would help alleviate suspicion if they were caught somewhere they shouldn't be, or doing something they shouldn't do. She also provided access to them, most specifically, to Quixie for the public library, the university library, and the town archives, which are not something that the public was generally granted entry into. Guards had been barred entry up until then to the Order Hall under guise of them having no solid cause to enter. Anytime they asked to speak with someone, the person seemed to be able to be produced to come out and to just say they didn't want to talk to their family anymore. But Stern suspected that there was more to it than that, and so there was a hope that evidence would be turned up, perhaps within records or within the physical order hall itself. 
The group also had a bit of an altercation in the town square with a man by the name of Stephen, who went by Steve, who claimed to be one of the first of the Order Hall, and further discussion with him and investigation proved him to be one of the aforementioned crazies who would stand in town square and shout at people. He had a fair amount to say about the new direction that the Order was going in, not liking that they seemed to be dancing to the town's tune, but he was very defensive of Pastor Rishuhin. The group also went into the temple to investigate the possibilities of entering, but found that in order to enter anything other than the foyer area, the reception at the front, they needed to remove all of their worldly items and don temple clothes, denounce all other deities, and embrace Arialor as their one and only god, and then they would be permitted entry for services. They decided not to do that, and instead to pursue different methods of entry, given a few reasons. A, them not wanting to be without all of their weapons and gear, and B, uh, Yolanda at the very least, as a paladin, not wanting to denounce all other gods, and being a, perhaps a little bit worried about what sort of backlash that would bring upon them. The group decided to go out onto the road. They hunted some bounties while they were out there, but primarily they were creating a little bit of time and a little bit of distance between themselves and the Order, giving themselves an opportunity to get a better plan in place. Quixie checked out a bunch of records and books from the libraries and archives and researched them heavily while they were on the road, finding plenty of evidence of the sorts of loopholes that Stern had talked about. Quixie looked through things like tax returns, property deals, deeds, all kinds of things like this, wasn't able to find anything that spoke of explicit wrongdoing. She was able to trace the specific loophole that they had been able to use to establish an order hall off of the Temple District, and generally got a picture of the idea that Rishuhin, his name showed up on a lot of these things, and generally painted a picture that he knew what he was doing here, and that they were probably going to want to be kind of careful about how they tackled this. She also, in looking through a couple of books of religious history generally, found something very familiar looking. A symbol of a now defunct god by the name of Atlara, who was mentioned not directly but only secondarily in a book about the rise and fall of various religious organizations throughout history. Their organization, their church of Atlara, was known for intense zealotry and fighting, wars of purification, lots of fighting during the Dwarven Elven War, which had plagued the entire planet over a millennia past, several thousand years ago. There wasn't any explicit information, but the symbol of Atlara, which had been preserved through the ages even while other things had been lost, the symbol was a sun with seven rays shining from it, four flat and three wavy, very, very much looking like the pommel in the hilt of the Sword of Arialor. So, Quixie made note of that and various other things. They hadn't found any way in previously 
to the order hall except for the front door. There were no alleys beside it or behind it. However, when looking through the records, she tried to find blueprints and found instead a note that they had been lost during problems in the city's more recent past, and that any interested parties should go to see the architectural firm which had designed the building, that being Handsome, Haversome, and Loam. Quixie, with the tax records, looked up and found that Handsome, Haversome, and Loam had been discontinued, the business having been let lie fairly recently, but that at least one of the members, uh, probably only one of the members, was still within the city and still alive. She was able to track him down after they got back to the city, a man by the name of Geraldo Loam, but first upon their arrival to the city, they were sent to see a thorn in the side of the Rising Dawn, a trickster cleric by the name of Calry Cherry Cheeks, who delightedly agreed to go along with the group in the hopes of getting to spread even more chaos amongst the Order of the Rising Dawn. The group went to see Geraldo Lom, who was a triton man, very, very aged, very elderly, and they found him to be living with Angus Dolgerbat, who was a short and stout gray-skinned dwarven man with a long beard who happened to be one of the members of the ruling council of the city, the Council of Five, representing the five major species of the city and having one representative from each of those species. They talked to Geraldo and were able to get a view of his private blueprints of the Order Hall, and in doing so, found that there was a back door, or at least a bottom door, that it opened up below into a expansive network of catacombs, sewers, maintenance tunnels, access tunnels, that honeycombed underneath the city, and was in fact the cause of some of the city's recent problems, given that there had been a zombie infestation that broke out of those very tunnels. The group, however, decided to go down anyway, making their way in through a nightclub that Quixie had semi-accidentally uncovered in decoded secret graffiti. They made their way through the tunnels, fighting a few nasty things in there, but making their way out into the order hall, all entrances into these maintenance tunnels had been sealed shut by decree of the Council of Five for the good of the city. Planeswalker, however, was able to unseal the entrance from inside the tunnels, levering up the boards that had been nailed down on top of the hatch. In order to prevent making noise, they collected the nails in a little bag, which proved to be very useful later on. They made their way throughout the order hall, looking for what information and evidence they could. They found a book of names and signatures, seemingly comprised of nothing else. Nothing but a person's name, and then that person's signature. Next line, person's name, person's signature. Next line, person's name, person's signature. A somewhat confusing thing. They left it there, but took note of it. They also found several scrolls, which hadn't been identified, some bundled in trios with a little note describing that they should be used in a certain order, although to what end, it wasn't clear. They found the sleeping pastor in his bed and left him largely uninterfered with, but were very wary of him, certainly. Searching under his bed, they did turn up a couple of perhaps incriminating items, including a book which was 
probably not something he was meant to have, given that he was the leader of a monotheistic religion, or at least of this specific sect of a monotheistic religion, and the book under his bed was a smut book about the high god and the low devil, two entities which he presumably didn't believe in, or at least shouldn't have. They also planted a holy symbol in his laundry in an effort to destabilize things even further. And Quixie flipped open book of scripture from which they seemingly conducted their various services. As her eyes fell upon a certain prayer, she found herself unable to keep from speaking the words along with what she read, flashing back to some remnant from their island captivity. She tore the page out of the book and took it with them. They sent Quixie's familiar throughout the barracks to look for faces of missing family members as well, and made their way back out. The group then made their way back out of the tunnels, encountering a friendly face along the way who would become a little bit more important later on. The next day, when they went out, they found that the Order Hall had opened its doors, not to let people in, but to let all of its members out, conducting service that day in public, in the town square, causing a great deal of disruption, although not quite as much disruption as Planeswalker caused when he used Speak With Animals to uh, cause a flock of seagulls to go and shit on all the guys in white ropes. It neatly put an end to their prayers, uh, as did Calry and Yolanda blending in with the crowd and shouting out various things to sow discontent and generally rile things up. Several guards arrived, including a new figure, a captain of the Town's Watch Guard uh, by the name of Purdy. But Quixie, Yolanda, Calry, Planeswalker, and Armina did not hold any particular conversation with him, and when he asked if they knew anything about this group, they declined to comment and said that they only knew what anyone else in that town square had known, keeping Stern's involvement a secret to themselves. They then, upon getting back to the hotel that night, found Stern in disguise waiting for them. They briefed her on the book of names and signatures that they had found. They showed her the scrolls they had taken. They showed her the page they had ripped from the scripture, Quixie fairly intently asking her to read it and noting that Stern did not seem to have any problem whatsoever reading it and not speaking along. They gave her the bag of nails from the boards as well as a bit of an indicator of how exactly they had made their way in, given that they were not able to hammer them back into place. Quixie's unseen servant had laid the boards back across the hatch, but hadn't had any tooling and hadn't wanted to wake anyone up, and so they decided to just take the nails with them and hope that no one checked to see if there were nails in the floor. Stern was quite happy with what they had found, but thought that the next step was going to need to be a more large-scale entry into the Order Hall, that they would need to find some way to get guards in there to be able to take out evidence en masse. The group had a little bit of a brainstorming session with her and decided that zombies would be the way to go. 
So they resolve to go down into the catacombs again, gather up several zombies and store them temporarily in the sack of holding, and then release them in a at least semi-controlled fashion into the order hall, then call for help, thus permitting the guard entry into the order hall in order to help fight the zombies. And in doing so, being able to seize evidence of other misdoings as they saw it. The next development came the next day as they were going to prepare for their entry into the tunnels. As they were heading to the temple district, uh, knowing that there was only one way to legally enter the tunnels and knowing that they should do that this time around, they were bumped into by someone who pressed a small package into Armina's hand. Inside was one of the nails from the floorboards, looking shiny silver and new, despite the fact that all of the entrances had been sealed up almost 40 years prior. The note with the nail read, This should be older, giving hints that perhaps the hatch had been opened at some time more recently, so the group with renewed vigor went to the Temple of Skekiktis, the only ones permitted open access to the city's network of tunnels. They met with a friend of sorts by the name of Darren Callistham and High Priestess Oro of the Temple of Skekiktis, who sent them down, after a brief testing period, on a patrol in the tunnels. This being something the temple carried out quite regularly in order to keep the zombies from reaching a critical mass and erupting out onto the surface once more. The group did a fairly fierce battle with a group of zombies, including some sort of zombified spectator beast with eye stalks in an old abandoned brewery underneath the city. They killed all of the zombies, but were able to revive them with the aid of a staff that Quixie had found while they were out on the road in a different underground area fighting different zombies. They revived the zombies with the help of Quixie's staff. Uh, she marched them into the Sack of Holding, being that they were now under her control, went and released them into the Order Hall with Darren taking the lead so that he could be on the opposite side holding the door closed for primarily his own comfort of mind, but also because he had a sending stone which would send a message to High Priestess Oro, who would immediately notify the guard. He guaranteed they would be in the premises within minutes if he called for them. And it would seem that he was true to his word, because not long after releasing the zombies, the guard showed up. They slayed every zombie that was there, despite the fact that the zombies weren't truly hostile, but they were being made to appear as if they were. They questioned Darren about the happenings, and they also seized several things as potential evidence in what exactly had gone on in there. As a result of what they found, the members of the Order of the Rising Dawn were largely taken into holding and into custody. As the group found out the next day from a briefing with Stern, they found a lot of pieces of evidence, but there were a couple of key pieces still missing. 
egress from buildings had been a major concern following the zombie outbreak. The city had enacted new regulations to ensure that buildings were limited to a certain number of inhabitants at any given time. And so, as a result, given that the Order Hall didn't want to let guards in to investigate, they had to have an attendance list, which was signed by people every day. However, several of the names on that attendance list were people who did not make their ways into the holding cells of the city guard. They were people who were not within the building of the Order of the Rising Dawn. They were people who seemed to have gone missing entirely. And when members of the Order of the Rising Dawn were asked, they only ever said that those people had gone on their pilgrimage. Another large piece of evidence in both metaphor and uh, literal sense, was a boat that had been donated by a member as an offering. That was clearly recorded in books that had been recovered from the Order Hall. But the boat itself was nowhere to be found. There were no records of it disembarking. There were no records of it at the city docks. Uh, it had been docked there at some point, but no longer was. Where it had gone was a question that definitely still needed to be answered. Stern was of the opinion that the normal members didn't know really much about the pilgrimage or about the boat. She had said that interrogations of them had yielded no real helpful answers, and the higher-up people she was still working on, most specifically Pastor Bosim himself. She told the group to come back in three days, and that they would be able to help out more then. She was going to try, over the next few days, to get more information out of the evidence they had found, or out of the people that they had captured, but she was quite certain that this would lead to a full trial of the Order of the Rising Dawn and the pastor, Bosom Rishuhin. And that is about where you're going to join up with our party. The only uh, other things worth mentioning, not really being directly plot-related, but while they were down in the tunnels, they did stumble upon a young vampire, young in the sense that she had been turned just before or during being captured by falling rubble. And so they are currently engaged in a search for a book which Quixie has discovered might have some answers as to vampirism, what it is, where it comes from, and how to deal with it. And so in an effort of helping their new friend Viola, they are tracking down loose ends on that whilst waiting for the few days of time to elapse so that they can go and get in contact with Stern again and move things along with the main investigation there. There's certainly a lot else that has happened, which is covered in our recap a fair bit, but I wanted this to be a more concise summary of the main plot up to this point. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, tune in next time for more. Also, I'd like to say one of the reasons why we're doing this particular thing, uh, A, it's important to me to give you guys a solid backstory on 
where the main plot is coming from so that when a character is mentioned or when an event is mentioned, you will at least have some point of contact with it. I think you'll catch it up pretty quick. You're all smart. I've met you, all of you, every single one of you, and you're all brilliant. But the other reason why this is going up specifically now is, of course, uh, COVID-19 is rampaging at the moment, and so we're doing the responsible thing, social distancing. We've got a couple of episodes backlogged that we are going to be editing in the upcoming weeks and putting up, and hopefully by the time that gets over, things are at a point where there's a little more stability and we can return to our regularly scheduled uh, weekly D&D. But rest assured, I have plenty of this world up in my head. It is just waiting to be cracked open like an egg and spill its runny goodness all over you <laughs> willing folks. <laughs> anyway, thank you all very much. Thank you very much. Keep hitting us up on the Twitter, on the Instagram. Send us questions. I would love to answer them. I promise I will try not to take 35 minutes to answer all of them unless you know you want me to so from here here being my couch uh, thank you goodbye and good night